0: This evening we're looking at Psalm 137, verses 1 through to 6, by the rivers of Babylon. This evening we shall look at a psalm that brings to our attention something of the intense suffering of the Jews when they were in Babylonian captivity from about 600 BC for a period of 70 years. God had delivered them into exile because of their continual rebellion against him. However, the Babylonians were particularly barbarous, and their cruelty was not of the Lord, but rather it was in accordance with their own sinful wills, and their own evil pleasure. As the Lord said in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, For indeed I am raising up the the Chaldeans... The Babylonians were Chaldeans. A bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. I'll say that last bit again. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. It was not of the Lord. The Jews had been delivered by the Lord into captivity, Babylonian captivity, but as I say, and as we see in the scriptures, the Babylonians were particularly ruthless and cruel. This is what the Bible commentator John Gill said of those verses in Habakkuk. The Chaldeans are a bitter and hasty nation, a cruel and merciless people in their temper and disposition, bitter against the people of God, and true religion, and causing bitterness, calamities, and distress, wherever they came. They will not be directed, and governed by any laws of God, and man, but by their own. They will do according to their will, and pleasure, and none will be able to resist them. They will hear no reason, or argument, their decrees and determinations they make of themselves shall be put into execution and there will be no opposing their tyrannical measures, no mercy and pity, no goodness and humanity are to be expected from such lawless and imperious enemies. With that as our introduction, with that as our backdrop, we shall now look at one at Psalm 137. Let's have a look at verses 1 and 2. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. The picture that is presented is very, very different to the picture that's presented in Psalm 1, where the man who is blessed or happy is said to be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. So we see in Psalm 137, they're by the rivers of Babylon, but um, they're certainly not the same as the man who is blessed in Psalm 1. In stark contrast, what can be seen here in Psalm 137, verse 1 and 2, is a picture of utter misery and despair following the delivery of the Jews by the Lord into the hands of the Babylonians. Note that it was, note what it was rather that caused the Jews to weep. It wasn't so much their terrible plight at the brutal hands of their captors, rather it was the memories that they had of the holy city, Jerusalem, with its temple where sacrifices and worship were once offered up to God. The fact that they hung their harps upon the willows suggests that they were from the tribe of Levi. Under the authority of the priests, the Levites performed various subordinate services associated with public worship, such as providing the singing and the music. In captivity, they were not able to go to the house of the Lord in Zion, and they were not able to worship the Lord as they once did. They would have wept over the sorry state of the holy city Jerusalem with its broken walls and the temple that had been plundered and destroyed. Those miserable Jews were God's old covenant people who in the past had enjoyed manifold temporal blessings in the land that God had given them, Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey, But now they were far, far away from there. Far away from their beloved Jerusalem and far away from worshipping the Lord in the temple on account of their grievous sins. Such as what? Such as sacrificing sacrificing their children to false gods, (coughs) their idolatries and their fornications. This isn't small stuff, is it? grievous sin against the Lord. Consequently, they were now in exile and in deep despair as they remembered Zion. When applying the Old Testament religion of the Jews to the New Testament church, there are some important distinctions to be made. For example, Christians do not worship God in a temple in earthly Jerusalem. The Christian temple is not not a cathedral and it's not a church building. The Christian temple is not built by human hands. Jesus is the temple and it is in him that Christians approach and worship God. It is in Jesus that their worship is received and accepted by God. In Jesus, He is our temple. Christians have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. As such, they have a holy boldness or freedom to enter into the holiest. By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which Jesus has consecrated for them, through the veil, that is, his flesh, wherever they may be. Dear Christian, whatever your circumstances, and wherever you may find yourself, weep tears of joy, because you are in heavenly Jerusalem. Doesn't matter where you are. You are in Mount Zion. Having said that, and not wishing to put a damper on what I've just said, as one of the commentators has rightly said, the believer, when led captive by sin, sits down and weeps when he remembers Zion. Zion is the place where God makes himself known. When a poor, awakened sinner is brought to know the Saviour, And to enter through the rent veil into the holiest of all. Then he becomes one of the people of Zion. A day in thy courts is better than a thousand. He dwells in Zion. But when a believer falls into sin, he falls into darkness. He is carried a captive away from Zion, as it were. No more does he find entrance within the veil. No more is he glad when they say to him, let us go to the house of the Lord. He sits down and he weeps as he remembers Zion. This is the Christian that is fast bound in sin. Then, yes, there's a reason to weep as he remembers Zion. Can you see how that if nothing else, the miserable plight of those ancient Jews, reflects the sorry state of Christians who have embraced sin and have immersed themselves in the things of this evil world, even though they are no longer of the world. Consequently, instead of joyful worship of God, the experience is one of tears and misery for the Christian. Let's have a look at verses 3 and 4. For there, for there they carried us away captive, required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? The Babylonians required of the Jews a song, and not just any old song, but a sacred one, the Lord's song. Now, I spent a bit of time wondering what the Lord's song is. What do you think the Lord's song would be? It would have to be any one of the Psalms. That's the Lord's song there, the sacred songs. When the Jews, they sung hymns to God, they sung the word of God, the Psalms. No longer could they sing their the sacred song, the Lord's song. That would be on a par with the world requiring Christians to sing How Great Thou Art, or some other godly hymn, or even a metrical psalm. Apparently, the singing of the Lord's song in a public place would not normally have been tolerated by the Babylonians. Therefore, the likelihood is that those barbarous pagans simply wanted to have some cruel fun at the expense of the captives. And ultimately, what is it that they wanted to do? The Babylonians, when they required of the Jews to, uh, a song. I mean, you'd be suspicious if the world required of you a hymn. Sing us how great thou art. You'd think, why? What do you care? What interest do you have? in how great thou art and ultimately what the Babylonians of old would have been doing there is they they would would have wanted to cast blasphemies at the Lord they would have wanted to mock the Jews and ultimately to pour scorn upon not only the Jews but their God In the book of Judges, there is an account of the Philistines having fun at Samson's expense when he was led into a feast where a great sacrifice was being offered to their false god. In Judges chapter 16, verse 25, it is written, And it came to pass, when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that he may make us sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison house and he made them sport. And they set him between the pillars. They thought they'd have a bit of fun at Samson's expense. Dear Christian, you too can expect to be mocked. You too can expect to be ridiculed by this Christ-hating world. And ultimately, the object of all the ridicule is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Jesus, who was mocked by the chief priests, the Jewish elders and their servants when he was blindfolded and when they struck him and they said, prophesy, who is the one who struck you? And the Roman soldiers, when they dressed Jesus with a purple robe and they crowned him with thorns. Also, as Jesus bare your sins in his body on the tree, dear Christian, He was the star attraction at Calvary and the audience hurled insults at him and mockingly told him to come down from the cross. A word of warning. When you are being taunted by unbelievers, it should not be as a result of you bringing shame upon the name which is upon every name. Even though you rejoice because You have forgiveness for all your iniquities and you are eternally secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is nevertheless very lamentable when a Christian invites scorn and ridicule from the world because he has dishonoured his saviour through something he has said or done. Something inappropriate. As a Christian you can be sure that the world will not let your sins and indiscretions pass even when you have shown repentance before God they're not interested in that and you know that you have forgiveness but even so it's not nice is it when people mock you because of something that you have said or you have done and shown yourself to be a bit of a hypocrite rather people will seize upon every opportunity to to deride you and to divide the God of your salvation. It is far better to be mocked because you are living a godly and righteous life for the glory of God, having trusted in the Son of God as your Saviour from sin. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 and 11, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. So it is good you are blessed if you are persecuted for the right reasons, for righteousness sake. The Babylonians in Psalm 137, they wanted to mock the Jews have a bit of fun with the Jews. The Jews were there as uh, their captives, having rebelled against the, the, against the Lord. Let's have a look at verses 5 and 6. If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth if I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. Up until verse 5, Psalm 137 presents to the reader the lamentations of the entire congregation. We can see that with all the, the we, our, and us in the preceding verses. They're speaking collectively in verses one. Two, three, and four, however, what we can now see in verses five and six are the woeful words of individuals with each one of the musicians saying to the Lord, "If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. if I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth, if I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy.." Following on from what has already been said by the congregation as a whole in the previous verses, each one of those people is now saying in effect, if I forget the holy city, then the very part of me that plays the harp, my hand, may it lose its musical ability. And as for my mouth, may it sing no more, if I forget Jerusalem. They were praying that their present circumstances, such as their afflictions, their captivity in a strange land, and whatever else was going on in their miserable lives, and so it would seem, even their moments of joy. Because we see that word joy there, don't we? Uh, if I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy, in verse 6. So, they were praying that there would be nothing, nothing that would get in a way With their remembrance of Jerusalem. Not just Jerusalem as a city, but all that it represented. Again, the temple, the worship of the Lord in the temple. And all the benefits that they had received from God. The temporal benefits of old. In verses 5 and 6, what they were in effect doing was imprecating curses imprecating, that's a fancy word isn't it? we're going to hear a lot more of that next week imprecating curses in other words calling judgment upon themselves should they ever lose sight of Jerusalem with all that the holy city had all that it represented a Jewish captive who made sure that his thoughts were never far from Zion, was a man named Daniel. At a time when the Jews were being ruled by the Medes and the Persians, after the Babylonian captivity, King Darius signed a law stating that whoever petitioned any god or man for 30 days except him should be cast into the den of lions. So what did godly Daniel do after that uh, that judgment or that law had been passed and, and signed by the king. When he knew that the law was signed, he went home and in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since the early days. Imagine Daniel doing that. You may have thought that he was a bit of a show off there. He wasn't. He was just making sure that there was nothing at all that would stop him from being focused upon Jerusalem and all that that represented to him. And sure enough, he was cast into the den of lions. There were people watching him. They saw him do him that and uh, he was reported and thrown into the den of lions. Clearly, Daniel was a man whose focus was stayed upon Jehovah, regardless of his circumstances. The Jews prayed judgment on themselves, if they preferred not Jerusalem, above their chief joy. That's what we read in those verses. It's difficult to imagine what joy they could possibly have had, what, they, what joy they would have experienced in those 70 years of exile in Babylon. Under a particularly cruel regime. I would guess very little joy indeed. Whatever joy they did experience. Must have been a great relief. Joy is nice isn't it. But joy is extra nice. It's extra special. When you're, when you're living a miserable life. Like those Jews were living. Every little bit of joy. Must be very precious. Even so they prayed. That their joy would not become their God. That ought to be a real challenge. To comfortable Christians. Who have so much freedom. And so much to enjoy. In certain parts of the world. Including where we live here. So on that note. Let me finish. With what one of the commentators has said. The happiness which is found in religion, is superior to that found in every other source of enjoyment and is preferred to every other. If either is to be sacrificed, the joy of religion or the pleasure derived from society, from the frivolous world, from literature, from music, from dancing, from works of art, it will be the latter and not the former, or at least it should be the latter, and not the former. There are other sources of joy which are not in any way inconsistent with religion. The joy of friendship, of domestic life, of honourable pursuits, of the esteem of people. So of music, the arts, gardens, literature, science. But when one interferes with the other or is inconsistent with the other, the joy of the world is to be sacrificed to the joy of religion. When the joy of religion is sacrificed for the joy of the world, it proves that there is no true piety in the soul. Religion, if it exists at all, will always be supreme. We see the prayer of the Jews in their miserable captivity there. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. May that be our prayer because we've got so many things to take us away from Mount Zion. So many things to take our focus off the Lord Jesus Christ. So much. And you know as well as I do, this is precisely what happens, what is happening in the church. We see it with ourselves, we see it with others. May it be our prayer that we keep focused upon our temple. Who is our temple? The Lord Jesus Christ. (coughs) And that in him we worship God in the beauty of holiness. Like the people, uh, like the man who is blessed in Psalm 1. Like a tree planted by rivers of water bringing forth its fruit in season. This is the man who meditates upon the word of God day and night. Again, may that be us, each one of us here having trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of of our sins. Amen.